0: Good day, and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined, as always, by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy?
1: I don't care what they say. It's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat Basketball fan. You are
0: always on point with that, Hummer. It is still, and always will be, a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat Basketball fan. Hummer, it was a tough weekend for us Bearcat fans, however. The Cincinnati Bearcats football team was playing in the conference championship game against Memphis, their second straight straight week, playing this formidable opponent. And for the second straight week, things did not end well. They lost on the final possession as Memphis... Um, I shouldn't say on the final possession, but on Memphis's final drive, they won the game on a touchdown. The final score was twenty four twenty nine to twenty four Memphis.
1: Well, they had a chance they had a chance to win that one too with the with the late the late drive, which uh, did not fall in our favor either.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I'm kind of dismissing the fact that we actually did move the ball down the field and had a very reasonable opportunity to score a touchdown and to win the game. and the offense sputtered, the offensive line broke down, and Desmond Ritter wasn't able to make the throw on 4th and 10, that would have kept the game alive and potentially allowed the Bearcats to prevail.
1: Bye-bye, Cotton Bowl. As we talk about that, we also realize that this is a basketball podcast. Right, and running
0: (laughs) concurrently with that football game, um, essentially the same time was the Crosstown shootout. Cincinnati traveled the long distance over to Norwood to face that university, and they, too, lost the game 73 to sixty six, the Xavier Musketeers prevailed, and it was a tough watch, Hummer. That was a, a game that started fast for the Bearcats. I thought the first ten minutes were were quite promising. Keith Williams was all over the place. Uh, he's been along with Chris Vote to be uh, one of the the highlights of the season. But all in all, another another frustrating performance for the Bearcats.
1: Yeah, very frustrating. You know, and some of the things that I look at as as frustrating as well. And, you know, I'm not a coach. I'm not there. I'm not there hearing what the trainers say. But it was very obvious, I think, that that Cumberland was not himself. He was not 100%. So it's it's frustrating when you're seeing, you know, the decisions that were were taking Jaron Cumberland from a coaching perspective and saying, well, hey, we have a Jaron Cumberland. He's not 100%. And we're going to go ahead and make the game plan to have him be guarding the best player on the court for the other team.
0: Yeah, I don't know that it was necessarily the game plan to have him on him from the start, but in his post-game press conference, John Brandon made it clear that midway through that first half, he decided to put Jaron Cumberland on Najee Marshall, who was the star of this game by a landslide.
1: John, how, how much did you feel like Jaron was kind of struggling with his injury out there, and what were those conversations like with him today to make sure he was okay? Yeah,
2: yeah, I mean, he, he got it out. You know, I, you know my, my belief in him's. I told him that during the two minutes I had sat him at two minutes to get him offense defense. Cause I knew he was hobbling. Um, you know, I can't speak for another man's pain, but I know he was hurting and he gutted it out. And, you know, if he wants to be out there, we're going to ride him. And, uh, you know, I appreciate him doing it. I think where it showed up the most for Jaron was he, he's turned into one of the elite defenders. Like he's a really, really good defender. And I didn't think he was able to defend at the level that he's been accustomed to defending at, Cause we put him on Najee. Um, midway through the first half, and normally that would suffice, and it didn't, and uh, so I think that affected him a little bit as well.
0: He scored 31 points and was the driving force leading Xavier to victory. Frankly, without him, the Bearcats are probably winning this game. I don't don't know that I saw much out of the Musketeers that would scare me other than this guy who just, who was hitting from three. He presented size challenges for Jaron and any other player that guarded him, but I agree with you. It's it's an odd decision when you have a compromised Jaron Cumberland at best. We knew that he was questionable going into the game. There was a chance he may not even play. I think we all expected him to play, given the the heart and dedication he's given to this program, given his general toughness. I'm not surprised he gave it a run, but he clearly wasn't himself. He wasn't. He had. No, he doesn't. He's not an incredibly explosive player to begin with, but he didn't have any sort of burst. He wasn't able to get into the lane consistently. His jump shot was way off the mark throughout the night, and if you've got a hip injury that's that's uh, hurting you, I imagine that's going to affect almost everything about your basketball game. So he clearly didn't have it. And John Brandon switching him on a Najee Marshall, I'm not, I don't actually understand that decision. We have Keith Williams, who is, in my opinion, our best wing defender. He's been exceptional guarding the team's best scoring option, other teams' best scoring options in the past, and we have. A recent example in UNLV where he he caused their leading score tremendous disruption on the on the uh, defensive end. So yeah, I, I I was surprised to see that. Any hypotheses from your side on on why it would be Jaron and not Keith?
1: I honestly I have no hypothesis. I can't really give you a, a rationale for it. Maybe the fact that he's looking at Jaron as being the best player on the team. Let's let's go and let's let's give him the tall the, you know the tallest task on the team. But, you know, there's you – know, and this is kind of changing gears too. This is something that's been frustrating me all season watching the Bearcats. We turn the ball over so much. And I don't think Jaron's injury necessarily was was helping him take care of the basketball in this particular game. He he did lead the team with four turnovers, not a, not a category you want to be leading in. But at the team, we gave up seven we – we coughed up the ball 17 times.
0: We – uh. Our turnovers have been an issue all season for the Bearcats, and Jaron in particular. Every game, like he goes through these spurts where he turns it over, sometimes two or three possessions in a row. Uh, charges, control issues. Um, he's he's not he is not operating on the level that we need him to operate at if we're going to achieve the heights we want to achieve. And it's a broken record, and he is injured. But at the end of the day, his level of play. Has not been there. It's just not, it's not at the level we need it to be if we're going to be a consistent threat throughout the season. Like, if, if Jaron Cumberland is going to be a 13 to 14 point per game scorer, you know, have turnover issues and not really and not knock down shots at the clips he did last year, well, the Bearcans aren't going to be a threat for the AAC title. We're just not going to win it without him. So, priority one, Aside from everything else we're struggling with at the moment, which are there are some other other struggles, is figuring out how to get Jaron Cumberland healthy and getting Jaron Cumberland playing at a higher level.
1: Well, I also looking at the at the number of, of playing minutes. I feel like Brandon has found the guys that he trusts, the guys that he likes to play. He's using a a sticking to it, a rotation, getting guys out of the game, getting on breaks, and you know sometimes I feel like in a game like this. You need to give a chance, a guy a chance to just take it over. Not not saying that Travis Steele is by any means a, a offensive genius when it comes to coaching, because you know these Xavier teams that he's been coaching this year is definitely more defensive-minded. But he left his player, Marshall, best player on the court, in the game for the entire game except for one minute. That is something that I'm surprised we didn't see more of, where if you know Jaron is injured, he's being particularly ineffective, and turning the ball over a lot. I'm surprised we didn't switch it over and maybe hand off more minutes to a Micah Adams-Woods, who was more more efficient and more productive than Cumberland was in the in the minutes that he was given in this particular game. I'm just saying only because he's hurt. I'm not saying Jaron needs to be benched, and I'm not saying Jaron needs to be punished. I'm just saying because he's hurt, we have a tough stretch, stretch of games coming up where we need him 100%. Maybe it's okay to back his minutes off a little more and, and give them to a, a player like Mike Adams Wood who's been playing at a very high level the last few games.
0: He has been, but I think Brandon knows that his workload, I'm not sure how much more we can give to Mike Adams Woods than he's already giving us. He's been, he was one of the bright spots for the Bearcats again. He, he was excellent in the first half, especially he finished with 10 points uh, he actually didn't miss a shot in this game, knocked down two different three-pointers, proving again why he is and should be our starting point guard moving forward. He's he's just been so much better, consi- so much better and so much more consistent than Chris McNeil. And unfortunately, we are not seeing a Chris McNeil. We're seeing Chris McNeil play in a shell at this point. There's very little confidence when to shoot, when not to shoot. And, and frankly, when he does, it, there's very little confidence at this point that it's going in. So gr- another great, Promising performance from Micah Adams-Woods. He did get pickpocketed in the second half during Xavier's big run that gave him a pretty commanding lead. And maybe that's why we didn't see more minutes from him. But I think I think Brandon just basically realized that if we're going to win this game at Xavier, we have to have Jaron Cumberland on the court. And we have to hope that he's able to overcome this injury and and kind of pull off one of those, those classic Jaron Cumberland-type performances and unfortunately for the Bearcats, he just didn't have it in him against Xavier. That's just the way, the way things fall sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the way this one fell. And I'm just thinking early on, just even watching that first half, that was so great. You know, there were spurts in there where the offense was running better without Jaron Cumberland. And, you know, recognizing that, and I think at that particular time when we had that run at the end of the game where we got to within three, if I'm not mistaken, it was McNeil and Micah Adams-Woods that were that were the two guards on this on the court, along with if and I'm, I'm struggling to remember who exactly it was because I, I was pretty far away from the TVs that I had to watch on. Uh, but if I had to and then vote and then I believe it was um, Javen with Trey Scott, I think that was the, the line that we were running out at the time and it seemed to be effective. We were getting the ball inside. We were having guys with quickness, being able to move in and create create fast scoring opportunities. Jaron's injury slowed him down a lot. He wasn't able to drive effectively, and it showed. That's why he only ended up with 11 points. It's he's not a bad player. He's just hurt, and he needs to get healthy.
0: Yeah, it's tough. You know, you see Xavier just feeding Najee Marshall. He's taking the challenge. He's seizing the opportunity, and and really going after the Bearcats' defense and succeeding. And it's it's quite similar to what we saw from Jaron Cumberland in the second half last year, where he's knocking down incredible shots. He's, he's burying Xavier and, and leading the Bearcats to a home victory last year. And unfortunately, our stud, our, our conference player of the year, wasn't able to reciprocate. And frankly, there's no other way to put it than he's just not healthy enough to do that. And we have a week off, and I bet, realizing that, we don't play again until, until Saturday. But knowing we had a week off is probably why they did, did allow Jaron to get out there, play, on, play in the game. He's got a whole nother week to rest now. And unfortunately it didn't work out. Hopefully he gets right and he's ready to, to, to go to work against Colgate because uh, we can't, we can't afford to, to let that game slip out of our hands. But I do think Hummer, it's worth mentioning that the couple of the, the bright spots in this game and then hitting on a couple of the other concerns, but Keith Williams, I, I alluded to it, to it earlier. Keith Williams he just continues his, his excellent player for the Bearcats.
1: Yeah. He's, he's a freak athlete, uh, you know, we'll I'll comment on some some Twitter feed that I saw from from a former player who <laughs> was happened to sit. I think four rows up. Alex Mechin was talking about how even the Xavier fans were just like, you know, basically what the hell is going on with this guy? He's a freak. You know, his athleticism is is absolutely incredible, and there's no reason you know for it. he shouldn't be shining right now. You know, he's just. He's an incredible athlete.
0: Well, for the first time in his short, not even short, but it's his junior season, and he seems to finally believe in the talent that he has. He's putting together some of the tools. He's always had the athleticism, but he's always kind of been that junkyard dog type player that's getting offensive rebounds and putbacks, but we don't actually run anything through him. Keith Williams is reaching that point where you actually like seeing possessions go through him at times. And even if he's not the primary ball handler, what I like about his game is he's catching it and and getting to the hoop and he's still hitting the glass just as hard. He had some really awesome offensive rebounds in this game. He was drawing fouls and he and he took four three-pointers, only knocked down one in this game, but I got to say every one of those shots I I loved. There was one that might have been questionable, uh, a pull-up from the top of the key, but the rest of them were in rhythm, shooting confidently. A couple that he got a little bit unlucky on, but got to be got to like what we're getting from Keith Williams and if that keeps up, having that type of supporting secondary score is what's going to allow us to achieve long-term, assuming Jaron does get back to to the level we're used to.
1: Now, something I will touch on too in relation to Keith Williams, but not involving Keith Williams directly, is the the opposite direction at which Trey Scott has been trending on the offensive production. Um, Especially from what we saw at the end of last year, his offensive production to this team has essentially fallen to zero. Almost to to the level of Chris McNeil where he does bring its value as his defense and his rebounding. But even this game he was out rebounded by Keith Williams. This could have been should have been possibly the Keith Williams show. Maybe we should have ran the entire offense you know on Saturday through Keith Williams because he was he was our hot hand. He was the leading scorer. Uh, he did okay taking care of the basketball, only coughed it up a couple times. You know, he was actually you know, he was the only one hitting really really hitting shots. Uh, he just, he played phenomenally, but Trey Scott, on the other hand, his offenses, offensive production's fallen off a cliff. He doesn't uh, seem
0: to have a role, like a consistent role within the offense. It seems like he's he's assuming that role of I'm going to crash the boards defensively and offensively, and kind of clean up the scraps. You know, we're not yep. going to run plays for Trey Scott. His his jumper's not going to be relied upon. He still every time he catches it you get he you, he will typically pump fake, you know, he's not confident just catching the ball and letting it fly, which tells me he's just not feeling comfortable or confident in that jump shot. And if he's not, he should have shoot him. You know, I'm not going to tell a guy who's who's not feeling it to, to shoot it when he's he's not having good success on that shot through the season. Uh, so far this year, he's actually only shooting 15 percent from the three point line and 44 percent from field goal percentage. So an odd regression offensively for Trey Scott. It's I'm not sure what else to say it's and and based on the role on the team, it's not going to change. It just doesn't seem like he's going to be a priority on the offensive end. That leads me to asking you, Hummer. I'm going to ask the question, <laughs> how are you training for this beer mile? What are you doing? Like oh. how, Do you have to just drink more beer consistently? Are you actually getting out and running some laps? What's the
1: work you put in? All right. So, uh, before the game, I was having dinner with some friends over in Williamsburg uh, in Brooklyn at an establishment called Peter Luger's Steakhouse. And the game, or the dinner was running a little, or i say it was a 1.45 lunch, people. 1.45 lunch. And it didn't get over till about 4, a little after 4 is what it ended. And we had to catch a train to go watch the the alumni watch party in, in uh, Times Square. When we got off the train, our GPS says a uh, 20-minute walk the game starts in seven minutes. So I look at my friend and said, let's cut it in half. And so I have a tall boy of, of Miller high life and I'm running through the streets of New York. We are dodging traffic in times square on Broadway, chugging beers. Yeah. I'm going to be ready for this.
0: Yeah. I love that. You're getting in training downtown New York city. Uh, Good job. Good dedication to the podcast. Good dedication to the audience. Who's, Definitely looking forward to watching you run this mile. There's, there's no question in my mind at this point who's going to finish in front on that bet. Just a couple more things to touch on from this Xavier game. Xavier game, Hummer. Uh, we mentioned going into the game that it's, it's. You always need that that special performance from a role player, or you know, if you're not going to get it from your star, there's there's big shots to be had from other players. And one guy who got those opportunities, I actually liked some of the shots he got. Javen Cumberland, our best shooter. He got some good open looks from three-point land. It just couldn't find a way to hit in this game consistently. And when he's not hitting and he's not capitalizing on the looks that that Javon Cumberland get, you know, doesn't even usually get. You know, once he's open and shooting, you need those shots to go in. And unfortunately, that was a bad omen for the Bearcats. He's he wasn't able to get anything going.
1: You know, and and it's this is kind of scary because I know it's still kind of early on, but we. We're nine games into the season anymore. The season is, is actually, if you think about it, getting close to halfway over. Like We're getting to the halfway point very quickly. It's going to be upon us. Well, we're only three, weeks, we're three tra- weeks
0: away from conference play.
1: It's getting to be a disturbing trend that the Cats as a team are not hitting open shots at the clips that we were expecting them to. And maybe it's time, and I think Brandon actually has alluded to this, that it, it's time to start changing the strategy, changing the game plan. And and really hitting you gotta you gotta knuckle up on defense more. You know, we ke- these these games where we're having the story of of two halves, it needs to be the story of one game. And uh, where we're coming out and playing pretty good defense in the first half, but then the second half it's almost completely non existent. It was to the point where I would call it embarrassing how many times Xavier would catch the ball underneath the hoop wide open for a dunk. That is something that cannot happen. That's A very high percentage shot, obviously, and you just cannot. Those are not—that's the type of defense you cannot play. You have to be guarding the paint, and especially when that's where they're getting the majority of their points scored. Xavier wasn't lights out from three-point land. They may have hit a higher percentage maybe of them, but they still only made six. We made six. They, They beat us in the paint.
0: I think you're hitting the nail on the head. We're we're going to have plenty of games where we're better offensively than we were against Xavier, and Xavier's going to be one of the best defensive teams in the country, I have no doubt. But that said, it's clear at this point that we're not going to be an offensive juggernaut. I don't see John Brandon's style of offense clicking and performing at the level that we are are going to have to achieve, you know, in a year or two we're going to expect improvement as he gets his own players in that system but with the players he's inheriting and the players he was able to recruit after joining the the program in April of 2019 well i think we're we're starting to see that there's going to be limitations on what our offensive production looks like javen cumberland is a fantastic shooter but what he doesn't have is great size and he doesn't have great athleticism so as he as he elevates his his play or his competition to the likes of Ohio State, to the likes of Xavier, and to the likes of Memphis and Wichita State, and these other really solid programs that we're going to see in conference play, he is finding it harder to get open. He's finding that he's shooting over longer players. He's shooting over defenses that are a little bit more keyed in on him. And we're maybe seeing the fact why Javon Cumberland is going to be more of a six-man type role because defensively he doesn't have much of an impact. In fact, I would say he's he's a more of a negative on the defensive side. He's not incredibly athletic. He's not big. So he, ha- he struggles to stay in front of me- his man. He struggles to have any sort of real impact on that side. And offensively, it's just, it's, he's not going to be a creator at all. So I, I was glad to see we got some open looks for him. That means the offense is working in some respects. We just need Javen to hit at a higher clip, and, and I expect long-term he will. I, don't think, I think this game is more of an outlier.
1: Yeah, I mean, from an offensive standpoint, we scored 37 in the second half. The offense was Wellington pretty clicking in the second half. It was the first half that was, mm, meh. But I'm also, gonna,
0: I'm going to pump the brakes on that a little bit. I'm pretty sure we had about three points through the first ten minutes of the second half. So Xavier did a ton of damage out of this at the start of that half. We're down three. We think we've got some momentum heading into half. Where we've we've kind of taken the best shot from Xavier is what you're thinking as halftime comes. But they come out and they step on our necks. They stretched that lead to 16 points, and and really never looked back. We did close that deficit in the final couple of minutes, but in my opinion, those those opening 10 minutes were extremely painful to watch offensively.
1: Yeah, but they only outscored us four points in that second half. It's not like we were languishing tremendously behind behind on the offensive side. You know, we were being it was there was a lot of tempo in that game. There was a lot of fast pace in that second half of going back and forth. We were getting transition points. We were getting, uh, you know, the fast break points. And, you know, I, I was seeing that in the second half. I'm not saying it's bad. It's good because they still scored. We allowed Xavier to score 41 points in the second half. The defense was just absolutely atrocious as as we've hit on. In the first half, though, you know, we were kind of struggling to really get the offensive go- offense going until later in that second half when we were able to close the deficit and bring it within three.
0: Yeah, we could agree to disagree on the second half. I mean, I wouldn't hang my hat on what we did in the second half of this game. I thought overall during the critical moments when Xavier was able to extend their lead and really never have any doubts about what the result of the game was going to be. You know, you can have a, you can knock knock down a few shots at the end of the game. It never got to one possession. It never really felt like we had much of a chance to win this game at the end. Um, We need to be better offensively. And I think that segues perfectly into something we need to talk about, which is I initially thought I would talk more about second half performances in general, because Anecdotally, it feels like we've just been bad in the second half of a lot of games this year. And then I go through the games and look at some of the box scores, and while there have been some some bad performances in the second half, all in all, we have, we've actually outscored our opponents overall in the second half, 339 to 334, but that does include a 20-point performance in the second half or a 20-point victory in the second half against Alabama a So if you take that one off the board... We actually have been outscored year to date in the second half by 15 points. Uh, OSU is obviously was a tall task, and we're seeing that it was much taller than we maybe even originally thought, given their performances against Penn State, the likes of North Carolina, Villanova. They've They've been a strong, potentially the best team in the country so far this early season. But what I also am remembering is the fact that despite winning some of these second halves, we also have had significant problems closing games. And so it makes your second half performance feel that much worse. So while being outscored by 15, we're also having these difficulties closing games. And I think it's worth talking about because we're having strong performances like the the likes of Bowling Green. We had a 12-point lead at halftime. Against Vermont, we had a 13-point lead at halftime. And what we're failing to do is step on the necks of these teams that frankly are inferior and are teams we should put down. I'm not necessarily saying blow them out, uh, Drake is another great example. We were up by 19 on them at halftime and got outscored in the second half. So it's worth noting, um, and it's, is it something that you're actually, are are you concerned about this? Is, do you see a concerning trend here?
1: Yeah, and I don't want to say, it's, I know you're talking about in particular second halves, but the the trend I'm seeing is we're not putting together two good halves. Whether we have a bad first half and a good second half, or we're not we're just not putting together two solid halves of basketball in a row and you're going to need that in order to beat some of these good teams you can't just rely on having an outstanding second half because the quality of the opponents is going to start skyrocketing here as as it did with xavier
2: um you know obviously for us uh, another tale two halves defensively i thought we were you know pretty good defensively in the first half albeit marshall really took over the game and uh did that for the majority of the game, not just the first half. I mean, it was really good in the second half as well. Really an unbelievable game. And um, the thing I was disappointed in, I told our team in the locker room afterwards, was our lack of defensive intensity and focus on guarding the basketball. Um, and we've had that issue in the second half of the games uh, for most of the early season.
1: But no, I think it is, it, it's a very disturbing trend that we're not seeing the Cats being able to put – Two solid halves of basketball together, except for basically one game, which even you just pointed out, it wasn't necessarily a, a win in the second half, which was Vermont. It's a year to date. That's, that's the best game we played so far this year.
0: Yeah, Vermont is the best game we've played this year, and it is a game where we lost Jaron in the second half. So we did let it slide a little bit because he wasn't. he is important on the defensive side of the ball. The on-off numbers with him on the court look really good defensively. Not so great offensively at times. I think I'm going to credit uh, our friend Bergy Knights uh, who shared some interesting data on Twitter about that. But
1: Uh, even still... Dig down in that. I didn't get to see what he posted on Twitter.
0: So essentially... If you
1: you know it offhand.
0: On the defensive side of the ball, when Jaron Cumberland is on the floor, we're only allowing .84 points per possession. When he goes off the floor that number skyrockets to 1.2 points per possession allowed. Now, on offense, it's actually doing the opposite. Jaron on the floor, we're only scoring at a .78 points per possession clip. Off the floor, we're at 1.05. So defensively, we've been a lot better with Jaron on the court. But offensively, so far this season, we've actually been worse. And it's not really what you'd expect, but it's an important detail to mention. So it just... That context matters in the in the light of the Vermont game because if I, if we're going to actually come out here and say nine games into the season we haven't put a full game together yet I'm going to pump the brakes I'm going to call the Vermont game a really good overall performance given the and circumstances and I want to
1: too I just was to you know if we're looking at it just by if you're looking at it from the surface you might look at us and say well Coomer, Hummer, you guys are you guys are insane. We actually were outscored in that Vermont game. But no, let's take into context what actually was going on. But it's interesting those stats you read because it's kind of going to a point that I was bringing up about the Xavier game is the fact that Jaron Cumberland at 85-70% probably drags that offensive efficiency number down even further. And, pl- and the fact that he's injured, the defensive side of the ball is also going to suffer. So I would imagine those those numbers get closer with him being injured, um, not being as good defensively, being a drag on the offense in this in this current form, that maybe we could have had a better game against Xavier, having him actually resting on the sideline for this particular one.
0: Right. But Jaron Cumberland this season did not play against Alabama A&M, and he also which is, by the way, a game where his offensive efficiency would have been outstanding, and he also sat the second half of the Vermont game. So we have a sample size basically going into the Xavier game of six and a half games this season. Six and a half games. Versus his career, which is we know the regression in this case is going to be our offense is actually going to get better with Jaron Cumberland on the court long term. So John Brandon's banking on that. Those The data so far this season shows... We've struggled, and it and and it supports what we see with our eyes. We see that Jaron Cumberland does not fit right now, or hasn't found a comfort level with the new style of offense. And there's no doubt about that. But he still has to be on the court to find that comfort. You don't bench him while he waits. You know, hey, let's let's not play Jaron Cumberland until he's fully comfortable yeah. in this offense. Look, You're not going to do
1: that. Look, I know this isn't a Sixers podcast, but if you look at the way Ben Simmons plays with him beat on the court, Ben Simmons has his career games. When when Embiid is not on the court, they do not really play that well. But you're not going to sit Embiid and Simmons if they're both available for that game. You're not going to do it, right? And even though they may not play the best together.
0: So in this case, if Jaron Cumberland is Ben Simmons, who's Joel Embiid?
1: <laughs> I'm not necessarily wanting to compare it apples and oranges. I'm just saying, like maybe our system is our system itself is. Is his Embiid? He doesn't fit into our system well at the moment. He's still figuring out how to how to how to how to score within our system. We have to tailor the system to him, and I, I think that's what I'm trying to say is where Ben Simmons doesn't necessarily play well with with Embiid, but you're still going to play them together because they're great basketball players. Jaren's a great basketball player. You're still going to play him in the system. Absolutely. And the plot thickens a little bit
0: though, because he shared. Our boy, Justin Berg, Night, at Bergie Knights on Twitter. Definitely have to shout him out. These were great numbers. Uh, he got them at hooplens.com. But the, the foursome of Jaron Cumberland, Keith Williams, Trayvon Scott, and Chris Vogt, when they are on the floor together, the Bearcats are scoring 1.19 points per possession, and they're allowing 0.79 points per possession. We're crushing teams. Jaron Cumberland, Keith Williams, Trey Scott, and Chris Vote. Our key four in the starting lineup. And then the fifth is, is Chris McNeil. So it's the starting lineup, the, four, the we key have room four. For,
1: we have room for improvement there, don't we?
0: Yeah, what, I'm, what we're saying is if you what get... we can put your, is Micah Adams-Woods. Yes, play Micah, <laughs> get Sharon healthy and this team. There's, there's evidence out there that says this team's going to be fine. But it is, it is telling that we've played nine games and only one of them do we feel comfortable saying we've played a complete game. We've had eight games where it's been one half or the other, and we've been dramatically worse in one of those halves. And it's cost us a game against Bowling Green. It's come close to costing us games against Valparaiso, Illinois State. You know, we need to do something about that. We need John Brandon to find a way to get this team to sustain a higher level of basketball. Even if the shots aren't falling, we've been bad in one half or the other on the defensive side. The defensive effort is something we should be able to sustain and it's on the coach and the coaching staff to find a way to get a higher level for 40 minutes or, or 38 minutes, 37 minutes. We need it more than 20. That's for sure.
1: So that's a, not, not necessarily an interesting point, but I know this is something I was hearing uh, at the watch party that I was at, wanting to get your opinion on if you've been hearing the same thing at all. What is your opinion on John Brannon's courtside mannerisms. I know that's not important. I know this isn't something where it really probably it has no bearing on whether a coach is good, whether he screams and yells versus that he just sits there silently staring at his players. Every coach does it differently. You know, Brad Stevens always seems to just have this like magical aura on the sideliner Coach K for the most part always seems just very dignified. But then you got guys like Huggins who are, you know, fiery off the cusp like what's what are your, what's your opinion about Mr. Brandon?
0: Right well let's think about Bearcat fans. I I think it's okay to think about this stuff they're the, they're the the face of the program for lack of a better word. everyone else is going to be here for a, a maximum of four or five years and only four of those years are going to be spent playing basketball. We've spent I, th- I want to say 30 years at this point watching Bob Huggins and watching Mick Cronin on the sideline, both of which, Can get very amped up, and in recent history, Mick Cronin is known for his psychotic behavior on the sidelines. Uh, If you're a UC fan when he was coaching here, you found a way to love it, or at times hate it. You know, I hated it in the Nevada collapse because it looked, it just came across as panic and as and showing an inability for the leader to keep his cool. But it is what Bearcat fans are used to, and I personally have no issue. With, with how John Brandon conducts himself on the sideline. It's, it's, it's much more composed. In general, he looks like, you know, he just keeps himself at, a, at an even keel, not too high, not too low. He's just going to be a, a, a calm, cool, and collected guy on the sideline. Now, the one thing I've caught now, I think two different times, one of them was caught by the Cincinnati Enquirer. They caught a great photo of him with his hands on his face, eyes between his fingers. It, it did present itself as a little bit of panic or exasperation, and there was actually a shot during the Xavier game where we saw the same thing where his hands and, and, and fingers are kind of covering his face and he's biting on his on his nail. That not a huge fan. Uh, it's it's an optics thing. It just doesn't it doesn't exude optimism in terms of I've got the answers. It actually exudes the opposite. I, I it seems as though I'm overwhelmed and not ready for the moment. But in general, I have no concerns at all for how John Brandon presents himself on the sideline.
1: I'd agree. And I wouldn't necessarily say, you know, in I'm not going to say uh, how to how to really articulate this. In this particular situation, I would not be surprised if John Brandon is frustrated. John Brandon doesn't have the answers because he ba- he inherits a team that's not built. He didn't build this team. This isn't the house that Brandon built yet. This is this is the house that Brandon bought and has to put renovations into. And he's running in the challenges along the way that he wasn't necessarily maybe expecting to find. So I understand if there is some frustration there for him. I think we we heard a a, a great quote in um uh, how can I forget the guy's name? The coach of UNC. Roy Williams. Roy Williams quoted as saying, This is the most frustrated he has ever been in his entire college career. Like this He doesn't know what to do with his current team, essentially, is what what I'm hearing. And it's okay, but Brandon's mannerisms, when I've seen him in person, honestly, to me, it's therapeutic. (laughs) It's a nice change of pace. I'm not going to sit here, and I think you said this earlier, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh my God, I hate it that he's not getting angry or fired up on the sideline. Because we were all yelling, saying we hate how Cronin screams and yells like a madman on the sideline. So I'm not going to go and sit there and turn around and say, Oh well, Brandon needs to scream and fire more or, and yell more. Like no, no, I think Brandon needs to have his own style. What he's gonna do, and if it's Mr. Cool, calm and collected, perfect. You know, I do agree with you. The hand on the face thing is a little. I'm hiding, shameful. I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's just subconscious. It's, you know, it could be a
0: subconscious uh, displaying itself. And and hey, suppress that. Suppress that, John. We don't want to see it.
1: But, yeah, and I was hearing some some other rumblings from from some people out there that, you know, starting to almost lose – it almost sounds like losing patience with John Brandon. I was like, guys, <laughs> we're nine games into the season. Thank you. Do you see the recruiting class we have coming in next year? It's actually pretty good. We have a good recruiting class coming in. Like, let's get excited about it. You know, give the guy a shot to actually build his program here. It's okay if his first year – Granted, I still think we should make the tournament. If we don't make the tournament, this is a this is definitely a failure of a season. I'm never gonna like drop that expectation of making the tournament. So that that is our expectation.
0: Yeah, if we don't make the tournament, things went horribly awry, and I've said that since the start. And there's nothing to change my mind on that. Uh, you know, what's his I name? think that's fair. John, what's that guy's name that uh, who covers college basketball? Goodman, I'm, I'm Jeff Goodman. John Goodman. I can't remember his name right now. His last name's Goodman, and he made a comment on Twitter poking fun at the king, Matt Norlander, based on picking Cincinnati to win the conference. And he, and he accused the Cincinnati of not having enough talent to do so. We have enough talent to win the American Athletic Conference and get to the tournament. There are no questions about that. This team is good enough to do those things. And you mentioned how John Brandon might be frustrated with how the roster is currently constructed and the player's inability to grasp what he's coaching. That's fine. He's human, but it's his job to figure out a solution given the player construct that we currently have. And, and I expect him to continue poking and prodding and finding ways to do so. But that is the reality of the situation here. It is on him to make, to find those solutions.
1: Yeah. And, and I think it'll be in the long run. I think it's going to be fine. This is, this is not a time for panic, because let's let's actually back it up. And when we did our very first podcast episode, I think it might have been the first one, when we did a schedule breakdown, when we first released the schedule, you and I broke it down. And so far, we are perfect with what we thought the record would be to date. We had predicted three losses. We had predicted Ohio State. I was not expecting Bowling Green. I actually had picked Nevada, and we picked the loss at Xavier. Right. We I th- are on schedule with—I don't want to say we're on schedule. It's not right. We, But we're, we're still on with what this team's expectations are. We know where we're at. We know how good some of these teams we're going to be playing are. Right. So it's okay. The results aren't far
0: off from what we may be expected. I think the play and the level of play is not what we pictured. We're not yeah, putting that's, that's, complete that's games together. To so when you actually think about it from a how we're performing standpoint, you know, w- not just the results of the games. We didn't blow out Illinois State. We lost to Bowling Green. We barely beat Valparaiso. We struggled against UNLV. I think when you when you add that context, it doesn't give people the warm and fuzzies about what the long term prospects are. But we still have I plenty don't like of these opportunities. You're using. I don't. Yeah. I don't like
1: this. Hey, I, don't, have, I don't like
0: it. Well, let me finish. We have plenty of opportunities <laughs> on this schedule. To turn this thing around. We're playing Colgate on Saturday. Let's knock them off. Let's get get the ship righted. And then we're going on and playing Tennessee. We're playing Iowa. And then soon after that, conference play is starting. So there's some really good opportunities for big wins on the Bearcats schedule and lots to still be excited about. Hummer, I want to be selfish and do a quick little bit here about a topic that I, I brought up on Twitter this week. And it was the fact that Samari Curtis, former... Mr. Ohio Basketball, and he's a freshman this year. He had previously committed to Xavier, and that was when Chris Mack was coaching their team. Chris Mack leaves the program. Samari Curtis reopens his his recruiting process, and the Bearcats actually get him to commit to our program. That was when Mick Cronin was the coach. We know what happens. Mick Cronin, in April of 2019, takes the job at UCLA and it took about a week or two, but Samari Curtis ended up reopening his recruitment once again, decided not to attend the University of Cincinnati, and instead took his talents to the Cornhuskers. He went to Nebraska, the people of the corn, and decided to play for Fred Hoiberg out there. Fred Hoiberg is, is a great college coach. He had great success at Iowa State. He's back in the college ranks, ranks probably where he belongs. He didn't have a lot of success at the NBA, but he's, he's a big name Someone you would expect to get good players at Nebraska and probably have a successful program. But after eight games this season, Samari Curtis has decided to enter the transfer portal. My reaction to this was to actually feel for the guy. It's tough, in my opinion, to have multiple coaches leave programs that you were previously committed to, to open, have to reopen your, your recruitment, have an abbreviated recruiting period, where you are then resigned to taking, and taking your talents out to Nebraska. I don't think that's exactly how Samari Curtis would have envisioned this process going for him. Am I crazy for not holding this against Samari Curtis and actually saying, Hey, if he wanted to come back to Cincinnati, open arms. I'd welcome him back in a second.
1: I'd welcome him back, but I'd also be curious what maybe some, some insiders would, would have knowledge of on the recru- maybe the recruitment process when Cronin left because did Brandon have a chance to talk to him? What made Samari Curtis be so quick to pull the trigger and say, "All right, I'm reopening it. I'm not even going to give." Clearly, he won the play in Cincinnati is what I'm seeing. He he, he commits to a team and Xavier, opens it up, comes to Cincinnati. Now all of a sudden, like you said, he moves to Nebraska and he's like, "Well, what the hell am I doing out in in cornfields here? This is this is not what I'm expecting." So, did he give a Brandon a shot to try to recruit him? Did he not look? He's talented. He's a, he's he's going to have years of eligibility. If he wants to come to Cincinnati, I'm I'm on board. I'll open him up. I'll welcome him in as a Bearcat any day of the week. It's what's the realistic opportunity chance that that's actually going to happen? I know it might not even
0: be a chance. I just think he. Clearly, I think it's crazy to hold it against him. He clearly wanted to be in the state of Ohio. He committed to two different rival programs. That's not something that you see every day. Let's not forget. So I, you know, a couple people dismissed. like eighteen
1: years old, seventeen years old. Like we're gonna give a, a right. we're gonna hold the gun to the guy's head to an eighteen-year-old kid and say, "Hey, make one of the biggest decisions of your life," and whatever you do, we're just gonna be pissed off and say, "No."
0: Yeah, don't get it wrong. And after <laughs> don't, eight don't games, get it wrong. he hasn't been good this year. So that's that's part. That's some additional context. So far this season, he has been he has not played a lot of minutes, and he hasn't been very successful on the court. My only point is. The pedigree that he came, that he had in the state of Ohio. Let's here's just some a brief overview of what he did as a high schooler. He's six foot four. He averaged his senior season thirty four point four points per game, five point eight assists a game, and scored a, toward scored two thousand one hundred nine points in his career as a high school player. He gets to the free throw free throw line at a really high rate. He's great at attacking. His jump shot. We're not sure if that's going to be a a long-term success or not for his. He shot in the low 30s from three. But my thing is, eight months ago, maybe less, we thought he was coming to the Bearcats, and he was the prized recruit of our program. We were all excited about him coming here. So if the door is slightly open for him coming back, all I'm saying is we should, 100 times out of 100,
1: Offer him that opportunity. There's no doubt in my mind the pedigree. Be excited about it. If he comes here, if we all of a sudden hear in a couple months that you know Samari Curtis has decided to to rejoin the Bearcats, I guess you could say, or decide to join them for the second – I don't care however you want to phrase it, you should be excited. Look, talent is talent, and just because – look, just because you don't fit in with the system down there – He's a freshman let's all remember that he's a freshman. you're going from a big gap in talent from high school to college. There is an adjustment period. Look Micah Adams woods is our touted freshman at the moment. he's the guy we're all in love with and he, even him it's been growing. He's gotten better every single game but it's still a process. He didn't just show up on the court one day and become best player. We're not having those types of recruits. We don't have the we're not there ha- our recruits are not. NBA-ready prospects. Our guys are college prospects that are basically college projects. Generally going to be four-year players. But let's not forget,
0: the, the, best, the best part of this whole connection is he decommits, Samari Curtis decommits from Cincinnati. But at the same time, Micah Adams-Woods actually did the same thing from Nebraska. And he left Nebraska, ends up coming <laughs> to Cincinnati. So the fact we have Micah Adams-Woods here on campus is due to the fact that Samari Curtis actually decommitted, so let's thank him for let thank him for that. Thank him for blessing us with Micah Adams Woods. <laughs> does does Micah Adams Wood help us get him now? Yeah, by reoffering the scholarship, <laughs> come back home, come back to Cincinnati. We'll still have you. And Micah Adams Woods, do you want to send not... him some
1: messages on Twitter? Do you want to say, "Hey, hey, uh, Bearcats, love to have you." <laughs> I hope come home, that. baby.
0: Micah Adams Woods though was not the highest recruit the Bearcats had this year. That was Zach Harvey. Zach Harvey was a top 50 type prospect, and we've seen how much he struggled early in the season. Do we write him off? Absolutely not, because most freshmen have a period of adjustment to this level of basketball. It doesn't come easily, but it will happen, yes. and you bet on talent. So in Samari Guess Curtis's case... wasn't
1: good his freshman year? Guess he wasn't good his freshman year? Well, not I mean, good, a lot but of he guys, wasn't great. Kenyon Martin Kenyon was Martin. not
0: great. Kenyon Martin was not great his freshman year. Steve Logan wasn't like, a huge contributor his freshman year. Most college basketball players are not great their freshman seasons. Most of them are not Carmelo Anthony. Most of them are not James Wiseman. And when they're not those guys, you look at the talent, you look at the production, their, their high school years, and you help them get better so that sophomore, junior, and senior year, they're crushing for your program. So it's an easy choice. Don't knock Samari Curtis for having to deal with the adversity of multiple coaches leaving their programs for new schools. And on that note, Hummer, I want to thank everybody for continuing to support the Cincy slang and Bearcat basketball podcast. We continue to grow. We continue to get out there and, and and are being listened to by more and more people weekly. We appreciate everything all of you have done to spread the word about this upstart little podcast, but we're having a great time doing it. Please help us continue to grow by hitting us with a five-star review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Spotify, let us know what other platforms do you want to have the podcast on. I don't actually know what everybody prefers, but we'll try and get on as many platforms as possible. Follow us on Twitter at Cincy We still have that email address, Cincy at gmail.com. Hummer,
1: anything you want to mention to the people? Look, if you have your parents' iPhones, just open it up. Open up <laughs> their podcast. It's a Christmas gift. I it's love free. It. I love Subscribe it. Subscribe them.
0: Auto, that, perfect, Hummer. For Christmas this year, what you can do for Cincy Slangin is hack your parents' phones, subscribe to the podcast, get them downloading, get them wondering, oh, what's a podcast? They click on it, Cincy Slangin's blasting in their ears, and it's all, it's all gravy from there. So thank you again for everybody who's listening and supporting the podcast. Hummer, we've reached that time. It's time to dedicate the podcast to a former Bearcat player. Who are we dedicating the podcast to this week?
1: Art Long. Whoa!
0: Art Long. Tell me, why is Art
1: Long (laughs) on your mind? You guys are not able to see this back home. You are not able to see this. But I'm going to show Coomer this. Don't know if he can see that picture of Art Long and his monstrous dunks. (laughs) (laughs) Art Long is... uh... Two, a hand heck of a jam, <laughs> Two hand jams, baby.
0: Two hand jams. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, I believe he's the the former Bearcat who at one point was tied to. He's famous most for or punching a horse. Punching a horse,
1: right? No, no. It, he he punched a horse. <laughs> and so that name also came to mind because he punched a horse, and because a few years ago, you know, seven years ago, Yanti Gates also punched a horse. Um,
0: yes, (laughs) gates did not punch a horse. That's completely unfounded. Kenny freeze
1: looks like a horse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I don't have much more to say about art long. Art long was admittedly a bit before my time. He he played for the Bearcats, uh, in the nineties.
1: He was with Bearcat when we were playing, when we were playing UAB frequently. And that's a shout out to uh, to the football team who will also be playing in Birmingham. <laughs> Alabama, Birmingham.
0: <laughs> well, Art Long is from he was from Rochester, New York. he's six foot nine. I like the fact that you're mentioning him because we'll bring it back to this current team. Rochester, New York, Western New York. Who else is from there? Micah Adams Woods. Not necessarily Rochester, but the Syracuse area. So shout-out to Western New Yorkers. We love you joining the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball program. And shout-out to Art Long. This podcast is for you. Cheers.